and welcome to episode 50 of Etc. Etc. I'm your host, Aug Stone. Wow, 50. Let me start off by saying thanks, y'all, for listening. It's been a great 50 episodes. I've had a lot of my favorite musicians, artists, comedians, writers on the show for some really interesting conversations. And today's show is no different. Before we get to it, I'm psyched that stores are still ordering copies of my Nick Cave's Bar memoir. This past week, I found out it's going to be in Skylight Books in Hollywood, a bookstore I visited a lot when I lived out there, really good shop, and at Larry's Corner in Stockholm. If you're ever in Sweden, you got to stop in there. Larry's a really cool guy who always has these wild recommendations for music and movies, all sorts of stuff. I actually met him by selling him an Eisler's set CD over eBay back in 2001, and we ended up keeping in touch, and when I toured Sweden in 2003, we got to hang out, and he set me up with one of the more odd shows that I've ever played, but it was really fun to do. It was at a friend of his restaurant to a handful of fans and about 20 drunk hospital workers. And I played a really varied set that night, including some songs I've never played live before or since, including some of the Augs Gone Goth songs. That was great. One day I'll get around to recording those. Maybe. Nick Cave's Bar is a memoir that I wrote about the time in 1999 that a complete stranger told me that Nick Cave owned a bar in Berlin. And without doing any further research whatsoever... My best friend and I flew from Boston to Germany to find it. As you might guess, it did not go well. We got hold of some absinthe our second night there and ended up in Prague after two and a half days of mild hallucinations. It's a great story, though. Miserable as it was at the time, it was a lot of fun. And I released the book this year. If you want to check it out, there's a list of the shops on my website, augstone.com, where it's available. And of course, you can order it everywhere online. And in other exciting news, I'm gearing up to release two Young Southpaw singles this summer. The first of which, Humpty Dumpty in HD, is coming out July 27th. So a little over a week now. It's an in-depth look at the nursery rhyme, taking in things like Minor Threat, Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School, John Cleese, and of course Van Halen. Here's the first minute of that for you now. So yeah, who is this cat, Humpty Dumpty? Why is he portrayed as an egg, you know? Because it's easy to break. But that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, why why would horses be trying to put an egg back together in the first place? Horses don't even lay eggs. The closest you come is like, like a platypus, maybe? And that's a semi-aquatic creature with a duck bill. Not very close at all. And you assume an egg breaks. There's like so many little cracks and whatnot. You can't be putting it back together. I mean, trying to get all that yolk and all the other stuff back inside, you know? It's crazy. And why was he so important to the king? I mean, what type of kings are giving eggs vital roles in their ruling of the realms? If you like that, there's six and a half more minutes of it. 
and it's out July 27th. We made a really cool video to go with it, starring Joe Bevan from Desperate Journalist. Great band. Check them out if you don't know them. Their new record is really good, and I've had Personality Girlfriend from it stuck in my head for the past couple days. And another new record you should check out is by today's guest, Anton Barbeau, who just released Oh, the Joys We Live For, which we'll be talking about a lot today. I had Anton on last year for episode 27, discussing his Man Bird album, which I also highly recommend. Across the Drama Pond is a killer tune that's been in my head all week. And as we talk about on the show today about other artists, it was great to discover Anton's work last year and have this huge back catalog of great pop music to work through. So let's get to it. All right, we're here today with Anton Barbeau. How you doing, man? I am all right, and it's great to see you again. You too. Yeah. Last time we were talking about Man Bird, which I wanted to touch on before we get into the new record, because it's kind of been almost a year now that it's been out, and it yeah. seems to have like an extended life, which kind of seems appropriate for the weird pandemic time. <laughs> yeah. And Man Bird is a, a double album, so you know, I guess it, it gets extra time on Earth to be ex- extra attention. So Yes. And uh, you you released the Across the Drama Pond video rather late in uh, in the day, but that's cool video. Definitely yeah. like brought that song to my attention. Whereas uh, you know I was listening to other ones more on the album. Yeah, yeah. It was we you know I, I sort of love doing the videos. It's it's so it's so fun, and we always have these ideas for the next one for the next one. But it also takes it takes a lot of effort. I mean, these are just just me and Julia generally making these videos. We, we'd originally planned that the drama pond video was going to have a cast of thousands. This is all pre pandemic, you know, and we, we started blocking it out and we wanted to do it in sort of the style of top of the pops, you know, some sort of British pop show with an audience and the, and, and a host and a band looking really bored and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And pandemic came along. And of course that means no cast of thousands, no audience, except, we turned ourselves into the audience. We were the dancers and we were the band and all that stuff. Um, but it just takes, it does take a lot of energy, a lot of effort every time I want to do one of these things. Even if we think we're streamlining every, every single time we think, okay, this time we know what we're doing. We're going to nail this, block it all out. And here we go. And then it just, it unfolds, unravels. I get moody, you know, the, the moody artiste who, you know, shoot it again, shoot it again. I look terrible, you know, so it, t- it takes longer than we expect, but also, and we're actually planning one more video for that album, even though I've moved on to the next record. Um, we want to do one more. And this one will be a simple one. Um, but uh, yeah, Drama Pond is great fun video to, to make. And I am glad that it's kind of helped give the that album a, a second boost because, you know, the Manbird record is one of the most, I guess significant records I've made, partly because it's all about me. You know, it's it's an autobiographical record. It's telling my story, and um, that's how I was. You know, I was really into it when I was making it. I was I was very present. It, it, there there were there aren't songs on that record that are just kind of thrown together and oh, that'll do. You know, everything was very meaningful, and, and uh, so doing the videos is definitely a way of of keeping keeping energy for that record uh out there so cool is the next song going to be a secret or uh, no no we we want to do um a video for underneath the mushroom tree 
Oh, and and, and you know, in such contrast to the other videos that we've done for the record, uh, we want to do something really simple. Uh, I mean, genuinely simple. I don't. I'm not just saying that, but you know, probably standing under a tree, um, stoned, wearing a caftan, and it's a two minute song. So you know, we'll be done quick. Yeah, maybe we'll hire some crows. Um, and uh, but you know, the idea of just doing something very natural, something that doesn't involve the green screen and all the all the trickery um we, we would like to do something out in the garden you know um, just go film under a tree and, and do something sweet and lovely and simple because that's the kind of song that is it's it's i think you know the, the other songs in the record have you know your full production across the drama pond it's got it's got horns and it's you know got cellos and it's got all kinds of stuff on it whereas uh underneath the mushroom tree is a sort of a harmonium and a vocal and i think that's it so it, it lends itself to something simple and natural so you know you mentioned top of the pops tell me about your relationship to that show being from the west coast um well i, I certainly didn't know it growing up uh, it's more just something that's always referenced right you know for the yeah. for those who are anglophiles i guess yep. uh, um and then you know i did live in england for for a number of years and um it's, it's not like it was on the air at the time but of course it's easy to go back and and research all this stuff. I mean, it's it's all it's part of kind of collective pop consciousness anyway. I think for for those of us who are music fiends, yeah. Uh, and so I th- I think for me, it's just the image of the kind of I don't know if it's in the the obligatory performance from a band. You know, they, do they actually want to be there? Half of the bands look like they just can't believe they have to do this. And other uh, the other half of the bands look like we can't believe we're trying so hard to to do this thing that looks completely fake. Um, so I think there's a real charm to it, a real charge to it. That's because it's a it's sort of in this hinterland between you know a genuine performance and a lip sync. You know, uh, and with you get the crowd of people who you know are either genuinely happy to be there or genuinely bored. You know, and so forth. But it's all it's still of a time when we could say maybe things are a bit more innocent because the people in the audience, you know, in the crowd, the dancers, when the camera is on them, they're, they're not spending their days doing selfies. So they don't have a selfie face. They just look kind of blank at the camera, like, Oh, Oh, you know, and there's some, there's something really charming about that. I think, you know, a kind of innocence, you know, everyone's trying to be cool, you know, as they're dancing to Kaja Gugu or whatever, but uh, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was very much a part of British culture, which I remember like when I first heard about it in like the late 80s, I guess, when I was growing up, we didn't really have anything like that here. Yeah. Like, I guess Saturday Night Live would be sort of comparable, but it wasn't, you know, you had to stay up late to watch that. And, yeah. Like, and it was two live songs. It wasn't like everyone so focused on the charts and whatnot. Right, right. Um, so I've looked now that, you know, we can go back and find all this stuff on YouTube. Have you ever seen... Uh, when Public Image Limited was on American Bandstand. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> that's so nuts. <laughs> yeah. There, there's so many moments like that from from that era, right? So many, you know, all the, whatever the, you know, talk show or, or late night show or whatever, all the shows of the moment, you know, suddenly had to invite these cutting edge, new wave punk rock artists on board. And most of them just had no clue. I mean, I saw Adam and the Ants on the 
Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder, you know, and uh, I mean, it changed my life. And he seemed he seemed fine with it. You know? But uh, man, you know, this are, I mean, Gary Newman on Saturday Night Live. Gary Newman, the B-52s, and the specials. I don't know if they were in consecutive weeks, but in my mind, you know, it was like a one, two, three punch that changed my life. And then Adam and the Ants. So all these, seeing all these bands on on television, especially seeing them performing live when, when you know, as a teenager, suddenly you realize there's something brand new happening that, that you know, goes against, as at least it seemed in the moment, goes against everything you've ever experienced. And it was, yeah. thrill- it was so thrilling. I mean, I uh, some of that stuff is is also referenced, especially on the song "Across the Drama Pond" that we were just talking about. It's like it's me looking back on those teenage days when, you know, just blown away. I remember coming home from Tower Records with the, my first Gary Newman LP, and and I was so scared to tell my dad, "Look, I got this." It's, but don't worry, it's new wave. It's not punk. And he didn't even know what I was talking about. Anyway, he was. He wasn't judgmental. My dad was a cool guy. He's like, okay, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not punk rock. Okay. You know, it was so funny because I was so, I I knew that something was shaking me to the core, but you know, to other people, it's just a lot of music, you know, probably. Mm. Yeah. I remember I, uh, when I discovered the Sex Pistols, like <laughs> for some reason, like my mother let me, I had a mail order the shirt of never mind the bollocks but then like when i wanted to wear it to school she was like no and like <laughs> completely understandable but like i threw a fit because you know i was i was a 13 year old punk rocker who wanted yeah, to make yeah. my statement yeah i i've got a, a, a friend a childhood friend um this guy eric and still in touch with him which is really nice you know it's one of those, one of those things when you you go through your whole life and we're not really close, but one of those people that you just, you know, you're in touch with from time to time to time over decades, right? Over your entire life. And, and he was the guy, he was a year older, I think. And so, you know, when you're a kid, that's huge, right? That's, that's another world. And, um, he lived around the corner and would, uh, we were, we went to the same high school, uh, Christian brothers high school in Sacramento (laughs) represent. And my dad would always, you know, my dad would give us a ride in the morning to school and Eric would come over. And I remember him getting in the car and talking about having watched Christiana F, you know, the, the German film. Wow. Uh, and he's sitting there in the backseat of the car talking about this, you know, oh yeah, she becomes a hooker and she's taking heroin. Oh, but Bowie's in there. And, and I'm just thinking, I'm so, again, totally embarrassed in front of my dad. Don't say prostitute. Don't talk about drugs. Tell me more about David Bowie, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's just that, those those funny times of of the awkward thrill of it all, you know. Yeah. But again, my dad, it's so funny because my dad just he, he either it went over his head, he wasn't even paying attention, or or you know, now by now I know he he takes everything in stride. Nothing, you know. I mean, I you know, especially since the pandemic, I'm I'm visiting him a lot. You know, I'm up in Auburn. He's in Sacramento. It's a 40 minute drive. So see him about once a week and he's telling all kinds of stories all the time. And they, they're, you know, there's prostitutes and drugs. There's never any David Bowie, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, my, I don't know where my repressed childhood issues come from because apparently they're not from him. You know, hmm. not just they're self, self-generated. <laughs> 
So the new record, Oh, yes. the Joys We Live For. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about the album title. Well, um, the, the title came from the title track, which was written first. Um, and let's see if I can do this succinctly. I was working on, I was working on another record called Christian Wife, which was meant to be the follow-up to Manbird. You know, I, I felt like, well, I've got to do concept albums for the rest of my life. That's just how it's going to be. And so I was trying to do this thing called Christian Wife that was going to it's about a, a, a domestic, a very domestic scene, a man and, a, and his wife, uh, traditional conservative in a small American town, but they each have this secret, secret life that, that the other doesn't know about. And, 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 it, and the idea was that these, the secret life, of course, is going to be quite dark somehow. And I didn't, I wrote a few songs. I was trying to make this work and I didn't, I just couldn't sustain it. I didn't really get very far. I love the idea. I still do, but I just couldn't get it anywhere other than a couple tracks. And meanwhile, um, I think it was New Year's Day 2019, I think. Um, I found a list of sort of the, you know, the 50 weird folk records that you must listen to. And I decided it's New Year's going to listen to a, a a record that's new to me every single day, you know, for the rest of the year or whatever. And I did manage to listen to most of the 50 records. So it was this very thrilling time, again, of, of discovery of a massive amount of music that I didn't previously know about. I mean, some, some, some of the stuff on the list, of course, I knew about, you know, incredible string band or, or, or whatever, but, um, but yeah, there were a lot of things I'd never heard of obscure folk things from Germany or Spain um anyway so inspired by that i just picked up the, the acoustic guitar and, and sat there writing oh the joys we live for and it's just it's meant to be an accounting of you know kind of just here i am on this farm a very sweet scene with julia my my now wife julia and her family lives across the way and we've got got our animals and and it's just kind of looking around and assessing the the simple and sweet things of life um and I, I kind of describe the the album as a whole, as you know, if if Manbird was this epic, you know, adventure story or whatever, then oh, the joys we live for. It's just the stuff you find in your pockets, you know. Nice. Right now, I've got I've got my phone in one pocket. I've got a crystal. I've got some keys. I've got a, a fifty cent piece, you know, from from Europe. In the other pocket, I got my wallet. In my back pocket, I've got my mask. In my other back pocket, I've got my little notepad, you know. The stuff, and I've got some guitar picks and so forth. You know, this just, and that's what this record is. And I think that's what the title, Oh, the Joys We Live For, is kind of meant to sum that up. Just the, the little things that we can, you know, that we can appreciate. You look around the room and think, oh, you know, that's a nice window. I love this window. What a great window. I, I appreciate this window. And, you know, well, that's especially useful for a year like last year when, you know, we were all stuck inside and you, yeah, and I had to appreciate those things or else, you feel crazy <laughs> but I, I have to i have to get this out of the way because i, I feel so guilty I, I keep claiming it's because i've i lived in germany for so long it's this kind of honesty this i have to be you know blunt about things but oh the joys we live for despite being presented um with the narrative that it's my lockdown record it's just yeah here i am on this farm for a year and i'm just appreciating the little things in life all but one song on this record came well before the pandemic. Oh, um, right. Yeah. 
nobody knows this. And so here I am being, being German about it and breaking, breaking, you know, breaking the hearts of, of listeners around the universe. But, um, well, yeah. I assume you were, you were writing lots last year. Yeah. Yeah. I have, well. so I, you probably have, have I have my, I have my pandemic record all oh. finished. You know? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's funny because this uh, "Oh, the Joys We Live For" it really does. When, when I saw the press release, the label had written for the record with that narrative, you know, the pandemic, the lockdown, the domestic, the small domestic world. It makes perfect sense, and it's really lovely, and I and I believe in it. I I can listen to the album and think, oh yes, of course, this is the record that he made, you know, during the during the lockdown, living on a farm. It's but but the truth Just is not true. <laughs> It's just not true. You know, half the songs are written in Berlin, you know, written and recorded in Berlin. And um, the other half are written here. Some of them, some of the songs are very much about t- domestic bliss. You know, oh, uh, what's the one called? Um, when life life brings you beer, gives you beer, something like that. Um, I don't actually drink beer, but uh, but I know people here who make beer, you know, and I like the taste of beer. I like I said, I'm, not, I'm a non-drinker, but I do taste beer. I like the taste of beer. So it's just a simple thing. You know, try try this. Oh, that's that's nice. You know, have some pear cider. Oh, that's nice. You know. Um, so there's a, there there are a lot of moments on this record that are reflective of of a very simple and sweet life that I have here on this farm with with Julia and her family. Um, but you other songs, um there's one called Three Days the Death Enigma. There's another one called Die Smiling. You know, there's there there. I keep telling people there are a lot of drugs and guns and there's death and you know broken bottles and fist fights. There's a lot of the blood stains. There's a lot of stuff on this record that ain't ain't filed under you know domestic bliss. You know? <laughs> yeah, I got the impression from the the Death Enigma one. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. dark. Yeah. So. It's it's funny though because the reviews so far people have gotten a few things really weirdly wrong. Uh, two reviewers described um, "It's All Right, Rosie," the song "It's All Right, Rosie," as you know some sort of like seething with repressed anger. I'm looking at that, thinking, "What? This is about my cat." You know, it's 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 a, it's a very sweet song about this this sensitive cat that we have that we we're very patient with. You know, we adore this thing, and we've got to be. You know, it's like how did people come away with with that? You know, well, that's that's a weird one to me. Yeah, and that one, it, the lyrics are really just kind of observational. It seems yeah. for that one, though it does. I was going to ask you the um, right before the middle eight. You uh, bit by bit and step by step will open that third eye. Seem to take it into like a whole nother territory. Well, you know, isn't that what we're all trying to do? We're trying to open the big third eye, aren't we? You know, hopefully, you know. So, I mean, not you know, it's not like we're not like we're dosing our cat or anything. <laughs> you know? Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, it's been a funny. Oh, I hate the word, but journey, you know, with this cat, because when we got her, she was a rescue cat and, and she'd been traumatized apparently by another cat she lived with. And so she's very flinchy. And, and if you went anywhere near her face, she would lash out. So, you know, I used to get a a scratch on my, my hand every week. Um, And so over time, just learn to just kind of be, learn, learn how to work with this cat. What, what, what does she need? What, what's too much for her? So bit by bit, yeah, as, as the song says, you know, she's, she's, she's just 
so loving now. She's affectionate and friendly. She loves the dog. I think getting the dog just changed her, changed our cat, Rosie. She's just, you know, um, yeah. So she's really, it's, it's kind of a, you know, I'd say it's sort of a miracle, I guess. Uh, but she's generally turned into a very normal cat. You know, can pet her in the face and she's happy about it. And she loves that. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, a bunch of questions popped into my head during your initial descriptions. I'm going to try and remember them. Um, you mentioned that you recorded a bunch on this record in Berlin. Um, I know you've lived all over the place. Uh, do you have other albums that were recorded so disparately that would be like this? Or do you usually record all in one? I would yeah. say... I would say most of my records in the last years, and you know, I, I I make a lot of records there. I mean, at least at least um, in the last five or six years, everything has been back and forth. Um, okay. Things are recorded in you know in Berlin, and then back here in California because these are the places that I'm that I'm based, and then I'm also um, well, if we take into account people sending me tracks as you know as the way the same way that you're working you know we're you know you have somebody email you some drum tracks or something but um i am also going over to to england and doing recording there sometimes and you know so so my records have been kind of cut and pasted from all over the place for for years and years it's maybe it's only i mean i was going to say i was thinking of three minute tease my 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 band in the uk with andy and morris from a while ago but even those records once i moved to berlin you know most of the work that i was doing finishing them was was done in berlin yeah so yeah everything everything i do is kind of all over the place generally so this was kind of par for the course yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely okay. and the other thing i want to ask you you mentioned um trying to get through the list of the 50 what was it obscure folk records uh yes like folk or weird folk or whatever whatever the any standout discoveries yeah um picked up the comus record and that's a freaky thing that's a freaky thing um i don't i've never heard it it's 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 not it's it ain't a peaceful record (laughs) it's it's not it's it's actually one thing that i don't like to listen to very often because it's so unsettled or unsettling um but, but also on the other hand picked up um was it the Christ tree by the the band trees and they were this sort of culty Christian group. Um, It's a really beautiful record and it's so genuinely inspired. This is so clearly their calling. And I think by now I'm, I'm no longer concerned with if, you know, if someone's trying to, if someone's trying to shove their, their trip down your throat, religious or otherwise, that's that's pretty that can be offensive. But when when someone is just so inspired by whatever it is that they are inspired by, and they just have to reflect that inspiration in their work, I, you know, I have a lot of love for that. And um, so it's you know, I don't you know the the Christian element of this record is that's fine. That's just that was what that's what got them going. I thought I thought the other day I thought oh I wonder if I could, I wonder if my dad would like this one for Christmas you know because maybe you know the, the the Christian element might actually appeal more to him since he is a you know practicing Christian but um it's a beautiful record and it's a really weird and inspired album 
Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, like we're talking about, you know, all this stuff you discover yeah, when you were a teenager and, you know, this whole world of pop music just being so exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like it's like every day like it was back then, but it is still so nice that like these days there's still stuff to discover like oh, yeah. you know, bands you never heard that was you know a whole discography to yeah. you know, sit back and enjoy and get through yeah well i mean i i when we last spoke i was was i going on about abba and Fleetwood mac probably yes i think you were <laughs> right because, because you know during during the time that i was making the manbird album those two bands were life-changing discoveries for me and these are bands that i'd grown up just hating you know, and there's so much music that I grew up hating, just as much as there was music that I loved. You know, with you know, that's what it's like. You know, especially when you're a teenager. If you're a music fan, can you turn into a teenager? You know, your passion for the things you love and your passion for the things you hate is so strong, right? It's it's so vital to define yourself sometimes by the things that you despise. That maybe that's changed. I don't know. I don't know what the kids, you know. The kids these days, you know, I, 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 it may well be a different scene because, you know, with the internet, everything is fair game, and and maybe there isn't the same kind of judgment. I don't know, but for me, um, d- discovering that I can love so much music that I did not like before is thrilling. So, so I've gone through my, and so besides all that, you know, whatever, getting into ACDC or or whatever, you know, things like that, and then discovering Talk Talk. Right, I mean, I remember them from their their synthy pop hits, mm. and I didn't know that they were going to be one of the most sort of profoundly beautiful uh, um, creators of music that I would come across. So, you know, Talk Talk is a, a profound discovery, even though I'd known of them forever. You know, mm. so so yeah, I'm, I I think I think it's easy to keep finding stuff, whether it's obscure stuff, you know, say something like the trees record, um, or, or bands that you have always known. You know? Or ABBA. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. How, did, how did I miss out on that? But you know, it all served its purpose, I guess, you know, I was meant to not know until it was time to know. Yeah. That's funny when things happen like that. How did I miss this? Well, because now is the right time. Yeah. So, are you a Kevin Ayers fan? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a. I'm not a expert. I have. Um, what's it called? It's one of the the painting. Da, 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 da. Uh, uh, I have that one. I have the one of the painting. That's what I mean. But I'm not an expert. I mean, I I, know, I got got one of his records. And I love it, and um, it's a, it's not joy of a toy, but. Um, and then you know i know i know uh, i know his stuff with soft machine and you know so i'm i i i really do like him uh, i don't own enough of his music to say much about it i ask because i know you're a anglophile and particularly like the english eccentrics of which yeah. he was definitely one but also because oh the joys we live for it took me a while to get right as that was your title because of there's uh I kept thinking it was oh the joys we sing because he had joy of a toy and whatever right. she brings she sings and I was like yeah that's oh, the one that I have I've got whatever she brings whatever we uh, that's what I have the tongue yeah, twister okay. <laughs> yeah yeah no fair enough fair enough I I that that may well have been in my brain I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past me to uh, to 
especially given that the title, the Oh, the Joys We Live For title track is a very folky kind of thing. It kind of it fits a little bit of that that vibe. But uh, um, you mentioned the Christian Wife album, but there were other projects yeah. <laughs> that sort of coalesced into this one. And last time we talked, you know, we were talking about Power Pop, which I think had three exclamation points at that time. Yes, and I was I was I was looking forward to that one because. Uh, you know, as we talked about then, it seems like it should be the greatest genre. And then when you listen to it, it doesn't quite have like the perfect pop sensibilities with the energy that I love yeah. separately. But I mean, I think I can pick out the ones that were going to be on your power pop album. And those are my favorites on uh, on the record. So but t t tell me which, which ones you think they are. And then I will then I will confuse uh, our narratives for them. <laughs> uh, one of her superpowers. Right. I would. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that was definitely my favorite on the record. Okay. Um, Cowbell Camembert, possibly. No, that was that was going to be on the Falco years. That was the that's the one official pandemic uh, song on this record. Official pandemic only meaning that you know written during lockdown. It was going to be my uh, pandemic party album, The Falco Years. The Falco Years is a brilliant title. <laughs> <laughs> you know, more about that. Well, we. When I first got back here, um, you know, I flew out of Berlin, grabbing what we we didn't know if it was going to be the last flight I could get with a with a with COVID suddenly kicking off everywhere, right? Yeah. So I got out of Berlin pretty quick, and uh, so I'm here on the farm with Julia, and and you know, jet lagged and having dinner. We're listening to the Falco, you know, one of the, a Falco LP that I had, and. Um, just yeah, I found it really inspiring. I just love the vibe of that record, and I wanted to make a record that felt like that. And I and I, I felt like it was something I could do on my own. I've got a I got a drum machine. I've got a few guitars and some synths. I could do something that felt like that album. And so Cowbell Camembert was was one of the the efforts in that direction. But again, like Christian Wife and um, all these little projects, just they didn't last long, or the or the inspiration kind of petered out after a, a song or two. Okay. Uh, well, I wanted to talk about um, one of her superpowers being my favorite song off the record. Um, the the last line I initially misheard as the princess trapped in her tower, it's befuddling the power pop men, right? Yes. I thought it was befuddling the power pop plan. I was like, oh, that's a that's a nice yeah. subtle reference. In there. <laughs> um, befuddling, though. A good word you don't often hear in pop songs. <laughs> well, you know, there's a reason that uh, I don't sell many records <laughs> because I'm the guy who can fit the word befuddling into a pop song. <laughs> but tell me about that one. Well, um, believe it or not, it wasn't actually intended for the Power Pop album, the Power Pop album, which is a finished product now. Uh, not released, but finished. It's a oh. it's a separate thing, and it's it's the power pop album is very much not really power pop. Uh, there's there's there aren't any sort of jangly tunes on it. But anyway, um, the the song one of her superpowers was was written during a period when I wanted to. I, I thought I was going to make a some sort of you know I can't believe it's power pop. Or I can't believe it's not power pop, or I can't believe how much I hate power pop as a genre kind of EP. I wanted to just gather a bunch of really catchy, jangly songs that were also 
confusing and offensive. Um, and you know, I will not, I won't tell you on on camera what what one of her superpowers was originally called, but I'll send you an MP3 as long as you promise, etc. Okay, um, I promise. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was trying to write um, a series of very offensive and yet very irresistibly catchy uh, pop songs and put them together. Um, but it was actually, I mean, Julia was just cringing every day. I'd have a new idea. And she'd say, oh, please. No, can I, don't, don't. So um, the other one. Uh, what's that? Yeah, I was going to say, I've been thinking about you. Yes. Very, very catchy. But then you repeat the word gobbledygook a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I, I'm actually starting to worry because an, another, you know, the records just come out seeing a, a handful of reviews come in and they're, they're lovely reviews. I don't mean to seem unappreciative. They're really sweet reviews, but it's really weird. Not only, you know, I, I mentioned earlier people getting the song about my dear cat completely wrong, but um, somebody described this one that I've been thinking about you as just a song of, of love and tenderness. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's, 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 you know, there's the line, probably my favorite Anton line ever. I'm a teenage man in a minivan squeezing milk from an old cup of tea. That's not meant to be, that's not a complimentary line. That's, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think my issue with power pop, I was thinking about this this morning, power pop as a style, as a style of music, as a flavor, I can get behind. I like three minute pop songs. I love melodies and I love jangly 12 string guitars. But as a style, as a, you know, you, you know, as, as sort of like a color in a paint box, I'm all for it. But as a genre, you know, it's, it's a very self-limiting you know, form of music. And I find it often to be, you know, emotionally stunted. I mean, every song is about some, some girl who, you know, the girl who just, she won't give me the time of day because she's the girl that got away, you know, you know, it's just, it's just, it's pathetic stuff. And, and it's just perpetuated and seemingly by, by people who, who insist on, on, staying within the lines and I, I as a musician that's that's the most offensive thing i want music that goes everywhere you know i just i just remember the other day and this is almost unconnected but it's not because nothing is unconnected right i remember the other day that my uncle don who used to live with me and my dad years ago i remember him coming home with some you know music concrete record and trying to turn me on to that i'm like what is this this is weird but i'm thinking now I had an uncle who tried to turn me on to that. That's great. That's fantastic. And that's what I want out of life all the time. I do not want, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't make music that, that wants to fit into something. You know, I want to be liked and accepted and I want my records to sell billions, if not millions of copies, but you know, I, I don't, I can't make music stays in one place for probably more than one song at a time, you know? So, so yeah, the whole, the whole power pop genre. And, and yet I'm, I'm so often affiliated with it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the family and yeah, that's fine, but I'm going to be the weird cousin who, you know, you know, they don't want to invite, but they have to invite, you know? Um, so, 
speaking of earlier views, you got a well a comparison to Van Dyke Parks. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> yeah, ain't that nice? That was, you know, I, I think, you know, as somebody who who puts out a lot of music and has always had ambition to to do something big with it, right? You know, I mean, um, you, you know, you get to a point where, well, I'm not sure if the million selling single is going to come along. So on the other hand, when you get a little comparison like that, that's a big deal. You know, that's lovely. That was just yeah. a lovely little moment, you know. I'm like, okay, that's this ain't power pop, you know. That that made me very happy. So I'm thank you for 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 mentioning that. That was that was a really cool little thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And along with this idea of like pushing the boundaries, like um in it is one of her superpowers. You mentioned Satyricon and Breathless. You know, by these two incredible, you know, directors, Fellini and Godard, two of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, yeah, films like that. Um, first of all, do you consider your music? Do you think of it in a cinematic way? I don't. I don't know that I do because I, I'm fairly insecure. Uh, and I don't, it's hard for me to think in, on a grand scale. I, I think in a, in a more, you know, I, I'm more of a TV kind of guy than a, than a cinema, you know, like a three minute pop song versus like a, a you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though, like I was, even though I'm, I don't mean to contradict what I said a moment ago about always wanting to reach for everything, but my sense of scale and scope is it's it's probably lessened in recent years i don't i don't think as big as i did at at a few points in my career um i was bolder i felt and could reach for for bigger things nonetheless i'm i'm, a, I'm you know i'm very influenced by um oftentimes i think it's texture and tone you know uh, uh, and so somebody like goddard um it, with with him, it, it's maybe the part partly it's the playfulness and the the always the the always breaking down that fourth wall, right? Um, in in weekend, one of the characters says something like uh, to another character, "Excuse me, um, are you in the film or or in reality?" Oh yeah, you know? <laughs> and you know I don't know how old I was when I first saw that, but that blew my mind. And and that that's how I that's how I live. I'm always asking myself and other people, wait, are you in the film or are you in reality? What is this? And I and I want to do that with music. I want to be able to 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 break things down a little bit and, and confuse people as to you know where they what you know from which point they're listening to what I'm doing. Because suddenly their their chairs move. Now they're now they're on stage. Now they're you know in the foyer while they're listening. So, you know, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, or, you know, um, uh, Tarkovsky, you know, huge huge hero. But I think maybe when I f was first getting into him, it's more likely to have a reference, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's pretentious. Or I know that there's a Bergman reference on my very first record, you know, winter light, you know, throw it in there. And, and it's, because it's meaningful to me, I don't know if it sounds, you know, poncy to a listener at this point, but um, I don't know that I, that my influence, um, the influence of these, of these 
you know, great directors, for example. I don't know how that translates um, into my actual music. It's just, it's just more of a mindset, the artistic mindset, you know. What are some of your favorite films? Um, <laughs> pause. Well, I mean, we just, just mentioned uh, Tarkovsky and, and, you know, Stalker. It's just how can, I mean, that, that, that's a, a spiritual film for me. That's, that's the search for God, isn't it? Um, and I feel like you can find it in the film. Um, and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, the yeah. Beatles, the Beatles help. Um, uh, but it's funny, I'm, you know, kind of going blank, even though I've got a, a thousand, a yeah, thousand yeah. favorite films, you know, just at the moment I'm watching, um, is it called The American Friend? Uh, Vin Vendors, which I, oh, I've never seen before. With Dennis Hopper? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, set in Hamburg, you know. Um, All right, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, um, well, yeah, we've just watched um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 the other night. That's now on the list of favorite films. Um, yeah. And the Wicker, the Wicker Man, you know, it just, you, you can kind of tell that I, I go in a million directions, right? Um, we watched, we watched Cocteau's Orpheus recently and, um, um, you know, so just anywhere and everywhere. Um, but just I, that's probably a good enough list to give give listeners a, a, a reason to yawn. <laughs> it's I should watch Weekending. It's been years, and I love that, film, especially when I first saw it. You know, it blew me away. But then again, it isn't the type of film you can say you got to come over and watch this with me. Right? Like, there are just a few friends who I mean, who would get it. Anyone else? Like just, you know that ex- hugely extended scene where it's just the uh, the traffic jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 12 minutes or whatever. And the little kid's playing ball with the old man. I thought that was hilarious. And other people were just like watching, like, what? Why are we watching this? Why was this made? I'm like, no, no, this is, there's something here. Yeah, I, for, I forget how literal people generally are. And something like something like Weekend, there's a scene early in Weekend when I think the woman is a woman, she's in her therapist's office or something like that. And they're having a, there's a dialogue but the music starts to creep up yeah. and it gets louder and louder and it overtakes the dialogue and things like that to this, just thinking about those things blow my mind. And again, that's what I secretly wish to do in my pop songs, even though I also want to make those million selling records, right? I want to be the likable pop guy because I love that. I love that about music. I love things that are, just that, that make people feel groovy, man, or whatever. But I also just want to screw with people or just play with, with the form. I, it, do, it doesn't have to be about messing with other people. Sometimes it's just, you want to, what can I do that subverts my own work, you know, in, in an artistically satisfying way, not just a career destroying way. <laughs> I, you mentioned about referencing winter light, uh, put me in mind, I, I interviewed Mikey Jordson once uh, from David Devon and his spirit wife. And I asked him about one of the lyrics and like, he, he just looked, I was like, why was it this? And he was like, well, that's the lyric. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, as simple as that, like, you know, that's what this song is. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've never, I don't think I could be direct like that about anything. But, you know, I, I don't have an answer that's ever not referencing 12 other things at any given time, you know? You know, um, I wish I sometimes I really admire that. I admire I admire people who just there you go. There's the answer. But 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 actually, that reminds me of something else. That you know, yeah, so. no, I'm always on a tangent about things. 
which circling back um, to my initial point, uh, the next song after the one where you list Satyricon and Breathless is actually called Filmic. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's, yeah. So no, the, go we got a little glitchy there, so I don't know. If okay. Oh, well, there's, there's actually nothing. There's nothing dramatic behind. There's no story for the title other than I had just started working uh, with the audio program Logic. I, you know, I've been a Pro Tools guy for years and years, and I got a new computer that came with Logic on it. And it was just messing around, and, and uh, there's some really nice orchestral instruments that come packaged with it. So I was just, you know, my first, all my first days with Logic were were these sort of orchestral sounding pieces because I was trying out all the, all the, you know, in, internal instruments. And so that was just one of the little pieces. I've always liked it. There was nothing, there's nothing more to it. And, and it just sounds like it's a, you know, sort of, it sounds filmic, you know, it mm. sounds like, so. But it's cool with the, um, the gospel vocals. Yeah. Reminded me a bit of like, you know, the, like right before Britpop, like the early 90s, like Primal Scream, Screamadelica put me in mind. Of. Well, the, the funny thing there, those were originally also part of like the, a sample pack that came with Logic. Uh, so it's these South African singers, you know, and I, I just, and I wasn't sure. It was like, you know, Julia said, that's still, it's a bit cheesy, isn't it? So I said, is it? Yeah, maybe, maybe. So I, um, uh, had Rosie Abbott who sings on a couple songs on this record. And she's, she sings on quite a bit of the power pop record uh, coming out next year. Um, but anyway, so this artist, Rosie Abbott, who's just a wonderful songwriter. Um, uh, she, I had, I said, could you, could you redo all these parts, all these little, you know, Oh yeah. Vocal bits. So she just sang on top of them. And, you know, she's, she's cool. Cause she can just do that. She, a week later, she sends you the whole thing. It's like, that was easy. Thank you. You know, so it, it gave it a bit more of a, you know, an intentional feel, I guess. So. And up next, I want to ask you crystals. Hmm. You mentioned earlier, you had a crystal in your pocket. What is it? <laughs> uh, I think it's called. Um... There we go. Oh, that's a nice egg shaped one. Yeah. I, I think it's a, is it like smoky quartz? I don't really you know, just, just disclaimer right away. I don't know crystals. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a crystals guy, but I like carrying this one around. I think it's called smoky quartz. Somebody can correct me perhaps, but um, yeah, Julie and I can have, uh, oh, there's another one, another one in the window. So actually crystals everywhere. Um, yeah. We, we kind of joked that we were going to get into crystals, you know, you know that kind of like, Hey, what should, let's get into something. Let's get into crystals. Yeah. You know, and it, it it also coincided with this this fantasy that we were going to go on a crime spree, and so the song itself is is kind of meant to secretly document this uh, 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 alleged crime spree that we never actually went on, where we just decided that stealing crystals would be pretty easy. Um, but then we started we started talking about that, like, well, if we actually did that, a we would feel so rotten. Mm -hmm. Because we're not, we're, you know, we're not, we're not that, we don't, we don't steal stuff. We would feel so rotten. And if you're stealing from a crystal shop, I mean, how, what, what bad vibe is that that you're putting out <laughs> to the world? And then, of course, we get caught. Of course, we get caught. We get caught stealing crystals, which is pathetic. 
And then Julia's mother would be so disappointed in me. Like, really? You, really? You know, so the whole thing just kind of imploded. But I got a nice song out of it. And, you know, and, we, and we tried getting into crystals. And we, we, we've probably spent, I would guess at this point, we've spent probably 12 or $13 on crystals <laughs> you know, over the last year. So, you know, we tried. It's a big investment. <laughs> yeah, we tried. I really like the, uh, that fuzzed out guitar part on that song it went really nicely with the synths yeah yeah that's brian pool um he's uh he's a guy from the whole um elephant six collective he was uh um elf power and uh and of montreal i think are are some of the bands that he's um known for playing with and i met him I was, I had just gotten back to Berlin. I was supposed to play with the Bevis Fraun at some medical convention, <laughs> you know, one of those things, right? Um, and it, uh, my gig got canceled. And it turns out on the same night, Robin Hitchcock was playing, you know, 10 minutes from where I live. So I went down to, to, to see Robin play. And Brian, who was also living in Berlin at the time, was playing with Robin. So I ended up meeting him after the, after the gig or you know got in touch with them somehow and i said hey man you know i'm i'm making this record and do you want to play on something um and so originally he came and played on space force which is on manbird and then you know some months later i said hey you want to do some more stuff and so he came over and just recorded a handful of things for uh for, for the other oh, joys, uh, what became the other oh, joys we live for record, including yeah, crystals. I, I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you like that because I think it's beautiful. You know, yeah, yeah, it was really lovely. Yeah, he's he's a what a what a what a sweet guy. What a great guy to work with. Just a real pleasure, and um, you know, he's just so he's very humble. It's like, hey man, you know, if you want to use that, I don't know, maybe there's something there, and you know, watching him play, it's like that's I like that's really good. That's really that's that's. You're pretty good. You're pretty good, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you did that because I do too. I think it's pretty good. To be. And talking about working with people, um, there are also this band Salt. Yeah. Um, who, uh, there's a couple things on the record w- with them. I, I do not know them. So please tell me uh, the story. Well, actually, the, the things that are on this, on the Oh, the Choice We Live for record are demos that were meant for a second salt record so salt is a band that um it's a french band essentially a french band uh formed in paris um i met the the main guy stefan when we were recording at abbey road it was was part of a tribute to scott miller from you know game theory loud family um you know we were all fans and friends of scott's and so several people were gathered together to to, to help uh, work on this this record this tribute record and so that's how i met stefan and he had his guys from from way back uh a bass player and drummer fred and benoit and then ken stringfellow came in to produce the record and uh it's i guess part of the band as well so we did we did the first salt record um partly at abbey road and partly at this fantastic place in paris called Verber. Um, where, you know, Serge Gainsbourg had worked and Nick Cave and all, you know, it's like one of those, it's the place in Paris that you go if you, you know, if you're, if you're not in London, we're working at Abbey Road, apparently. It's, it was beautiful. It's a beautiful studio. 
Um, uh, anyway, so we did the first record. Um, my my contribution was primarily as vocalist. I did I did kind of reworks a lot of uh, Stefan's lyrics because even though he speaks English, his English is very French. So I sort of had to translate his his English into English. Um, and the second record was, I, it's not out yet. And it was much more of a pandemic, sort of the victim of the, the pandemic. Um, I think Stefan and gang had recorded some of the material already. And I was, you know, it was meant to be a triple album, you know, and it, it ended up being a single album, of course. But uh, so, yeah, the songs on my record were, were going to be demos or they, they were demos that uh, for you know, possible inclusion on, on the salt thing, but they, you know, it, that didn't happen that way. And instead, um, Stefan would just send me tracks, backing tracks mostly. And I would write uh, the lyrics and the melodies and just send him back vocals. And then he sent it off to Ken Stringfellow who produced it and turned it to this whole other thing. So, uh, I'm a little less clear, honestly, on what the second Salt record even is because when I finally heard it, I didn't I didn't know half the material. You know, either Ken Stringfellow is singing it, or the bassist Fred is singing, or um, there's another guy who uh, Dominique. I don't remember his full name, but he died um, before the record was finished. Uh, he, he, I think, he'd been ill anyway, and they, they so they kind of knew this would be his last moment. Um, so, so I think there's you know four or five singers and songwriters on the record. And it's 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 kind of an all over the place thing. So I can't I, I don't know so much what to say about the second Salt record. And you know, um, and because of the pandemic, it's like, am I still even in this band? Is it even a band? I don't I don't really know. I think it's really Stefan's thing. You know, more than more than anything. So, and, well, the song Salt Lick on your record. Um, yes. there's a good story in the press release about the bass line. Oh. <laughs> you can repeat that. Yeah, yeah, um, that was a funny one. I mean, and uh, again, this falls under the you know Anton's bad bedside manner uh, heading, and um, and again with the irony being that that bass player Fred in Salt is also a doctor. So he and Stefan are both doctors, and Fred's he's an amazing bass player. He's a really weird bass player, but he's a he's an amazing amazing bass player. And generally, I really love what he does. Um, but part of what he does is always look for the the outside edge or the weird angle, you know. Um, and he always makes it work. And when I say always, I don't mean always. I mean most of the time makes it work. And in the case of Salt Lake, um, I'd sent it. I'd sent him my demo, and he sent me back something that. I don't know what to say other than it was one of the most perplexing things I've ever heard. You know, what is this? What is <laughs> how what? And maybe I'm I'm used to hearing him playing in the context of Stefan's songs, or you know, they have a long history, so it's they have a chemistry that that maybe I don't share with him. Or but you know, Salt Lake. On my record, it's a really simple three three chord song. It's it's a really basic piece of of pop music, um, and so getting this just gnarly bass line from him, this baffling bass bass part was. I just said, "What would you? Could you consider maybe sending me something a little, just a little bit more straightforward?" 
and I sent. Well, what what you hear on my record is me playing bass. I just I grabbed my my little Hofner, and that's just a one take performance. This is what I had in mind. Here's what I think of as a melodic bass part. Here we go. Da, 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 you know. So I I sent back to him. Never heard another word. <laughs> you know. He's he's like no. I I have sent you my my work. You know. I, I've never heard another word from him on that one. He doesn't um, do straight eighth notes. <laughs> he does not do straight any notes. It's, you know, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, and I, he said, he's a character, you know, he's, I really have great admiration for his musicality and his attitude, except when it applies to my songs, apparently, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, dude, come on, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, that's a funny one. And that's, uh, that's working with people, isn't it? Yeah. That's that thing. You're talking about vision. You know, he's got, He's got a vision of how he thinks music is meant to go. And yet we share so much of the similar background, you know, the kind of pop music that, that Fred and the guys in, in Salt like. Well, you know, it's pretty familiar stuff to all of us. So, so what he's doing is coming from another place altogether. However, even though he's not on bass on that song, Salt Lick, the following song on the record is called Die Smiling. And, or maybe I don't know where it is on the record. Somewhere on the record, though, it's called "Die Smiling," and that was written with Fred in mind. Not, not, not the death part, but you know, I, I felt I wanted to write something a little bit more musically ambitious. And so, rather than writing it on guitar, it's on. I wrote it on piano or synth or something. So it's it's a keyboard song. I can do a little bit more musically on a keyboard than I can on a guitar. So I wanted to do something that would be more for with him in mind. So here, you know, here play something weird. This this is more a moment for you to do your your freaky thing. Um, and I I think in that case we never actually got round to him doing a bass after all. Uh, but he did play saxophone on that one, so that's that's cool because he's a he's a really cool sax player too. You know he he's on the um, the power pop record playing sax on on a certain song, and his inspiration for his contribution to that was was you know uh black star you know uh, the, the bowie record oh, wow. um, and to me it's like okay you got the job <laughs> yeah but, and so you know so that's the thing is like if i i can relate to fred you know with over black star right right i mean so that's good enough so yeah, he played saxon. It's fantastic, but neither neither of the songs ended up on you know the, the actual salt records. So there's a long story for for you. Are there anything we haven't covered about the record that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I think we hit all the songs. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of it, and um, I don't know. I just I, I'm I can say I'm I'm really pleased with how it came out because it's a record that was year record as far as i knew you know my the previous record manbird was made with 100 inspiration and intention you know and it's a double album manbird was this for me an epic um adventure you know and i i knew that every single song had to be right for the record if it wasn't right it didn't go on there but still I felt like I was on a real roll and I knew my standards were high with, with the, Oh, the joys uh, we live for album. As we said, it's a record that came from multiple places, all these little ideas or, or intended albums that just never 
came to fruition. And um, so, and I'd even released Oh, the Joys We Live For as a, as a download only thing a year ago um, on some, some, you know, I don't remember what I used, but it flopped. I think I sold, I think it was $1.83, $1.83 worth of uh, downloads. So in other words, nobody knew it existed. And, um, and it had a whole different set of songs on it. And so I retooled it and um, Bigster, the, the label out of Burbank, um, they said they'd be happy to release it. So I gave them the, what, what's this for the, the final version. And it's turned into this really lovely little, very little success story. You know, uh, I say little again, ref, kind of referring to the, the stuff in the pockets, right? Just the, the little things you find, the coins and the keys. It, it wasn't meant to be a grand album. It's not meant to be, you know, um, Tarkovsky does cocktail or something like that. It's it's um, just a little thing, and yet it's turned in. It turned out to be a a, a lovely record. I mean, if I, if I'm saying so, I, what I mean by that is I'm surprised by it. like wait, what songs are on it again? And, and go, yeah, this, this is really sweet. So um, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with with what it is. I, I didn't I didn't know I was making this record until it's a record that made itself. You know what I mean? Was that a new experience for you, uh, having like different projects that sort of coalesced into another no, thing completely? No, okay. <laughs> no, to be honest. I mean, some, sometimes, sometimes you just you just have songs laying around, or sometimes you you record something for one album, but it doesn't quite fit. You end up using it later. Um, so I've always been able to work, you know, gathering scraps and you know making a magpie's nest or something like that. Um, it's it's actually more of a rare thing, as with Manbird or earlier albums, Splendid Tray and In the Village of the Apple Sun. It's a rare thing when an entire album is written as a piece. Uh-huh. You know? um, but in this case, the fact that it was four or f- without the joys we live for, the fact that it's four or five different projects that all ended up in one place, you know, that's that's curious. That's new. So, um, but the, 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 the actual power pop record that we've, we've alluded to a couple of times yeah. that uh, that's, um, that's much more of an intentional thing again. That's, um, and that, that is all songs written for that album. That's my, that's my pandemic album. That's my, that's what I did during the lockdown. And, um, so and that'll be out next year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll talk again then about it. It was an yeah. incredible buildup over two previous podcasts to get to it. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Well, you got anything coming up you want to plug or anything? You've been doing some online shows, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's been really fun. Um, I avoided that for the, you know, sort of the first year of the pandemic. I'm like, I'm not doing that. But um, we got kind of roped into something in January and it was really fun. And, and it was, I was nervous, like, oh my God, we're doing a real show, you know, with an audience. And uh, so then Julie and I started doing doing the monthly. So we've done five or six by now. Um, and I think we're going to do one more, one more in this in the series or in the season, or more for the season. I think it's nice to frame it with something like season or series, isn't it? Um, we'll do one more and then kind of call it for a while. And I think the next one will be uh, all an all piano set. So, uh, and I don't know when it's going to be. It'll be on Facebook. Uh, that's where we've been hosting these. Uh, it'll be soon, within a few weeks. Uh, 
because it does look like I'm finally going back to Berlin for a little bit. And Julia's yeah, Julia's gonna come over there as well for for a bit. So it's a good excuse to kind of take a break from from doing the the live stream gigs. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm I I don't know what I have to plug. I don't really have anything to plug, which is nice. You know? Yeah. Is Oh the Joys officially out now? Yeah, as of yesterday. Uh, I, did, I didn't realize that until the label pointed that out. I said, it's coming out soon. They said, it's coming out today. I'm like, oh, hooray. <laughs> you know, that that tells you how kind of laxed or relaxed I am about the record, you know, the, the, an album that kind of made itself. Um, but, and I, I, I want to give props again to the to Rex and Christina at, at the Big Stir label. Um I hope I haven't. I felt like I slipped and said Big Star, but it's uh, because we got Black Star. Big Star. <laughs> okay, good. Because we've also got Black Star in there. Um, and uh, but uh, th- those guys, Rex and Christine, have been so sweet with this record. I mean, they've they've been great to work with already. I've I've done two other albums with them, including an Alice in Seconds reissue, and you know they're. But I've also had sort of kind of behind the scenes dealings dealings with them as real people, and. You know, not just you know upbeat record label folks they're they're just really good people and i you know I was, not that i didn't know that but when you have that kind of confirmation when you're dealing with something a little bit you know trickier and you find out that these are the right people to 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 work with um that's a cool thing so i'm really glad about that but also they're just you know they're just lovely about this record they're really they're enthusiastic in a way that i um i'm you know, that comes back to haunt me in a good way, you know? Yeah. I so, watched that, uh, the January show they had, mm-hmm. the corner laughers were on as well. And they seemed right, just right. like really genuinely like into music. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're, they, they're just, they really are. They've got a lot of enthusiasm. So cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very well, much for coming yeah, on the show. Oh, you yeah. want to say? No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just going through like, do I have anything? No, but nothing. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Th- yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. All of that was, you know, just, just totally enjoyable. You know? Excellent. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to next year's episode when I'll finally have heard this mythical power pop album. In the meantime, check out Anton's new Oh, the Joys We Live For and give the older stuff a listen too. Man Bird, Natural Causes. There's a ton of collaborations and side projects, too. You can, you can find these on Anton's website, antonbarbeau.com. I really like the three-minute tease stuff that he did with Andy Metcalf and Morris Windsor from the Soft Boys. And the Allison Seconds records that Anton wrote and produced are really good, too. If I Could Bring You Trouble from Her Bag of Kittens is one of my favorite songs of his. So, yeah, check it all out. Don't forget my young Southpaw tune, Humpty Dumpty in HD, is out on July 27th. Keep an eye out for the video, and it'll be on all the platforms except for Spotify. And there's plenty of other wild Southpaw stories up at youngsouthpaw.com. And if you want to pick up a copy of my Nick Cave's Bar memoir, that would be much appreciated. Same if you want to share this episode of the podcast or rate and review it on Apple Music or whatever platform you use. I'm going to play you out now with my favorite song from Anton's new record, Oh, the Joys We Live For. This is One of Her Superpowers. One of her superpowers is leaving things as they are. The minute defiles the hour. 
planet defiles the star But she don't care Her hands are clean And she don't care She grows her hair She stays in bed And she don't care One of her superpowers Is leaving keys in the car She's dreaming a field of flowers Seeds in a jar The zebra walks The narrow hallway To her door He knocks three times She lets him in He knocks no more Summertime fun Our legs are getting Tower, befuddling the power pop men.